Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to be with you, everybody. It is Monday, July 18th. Hard to believe we're racing through the summer months, but we are, and it's good to be with us. Appreciate you, and I just really want to say thank you to all the listeners that make this a way, one of their ways in which they stay on top of all of what's going on in the industry. This broadcast was, again, created, or is created, was, is, and will be created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the of the Innovation Award from Progress in Lending. So thank you to everyone there. I want to say a special uh, thank you to Logan Motoshami, who will be joining us in the Hot Topics segment, or the, any of you that have listened to this program on a regular basis. You know who Logan is. We'll be talking about, specifically about housing, giving a housing update. We're going to be talking um, some of the, we're going to debunk some of these theories. And we're going to talk about, per, you know, uh, economic, you know, bears that have been out there, the perma bears as Logan refers to them, why they've been wrong, what's the what's the why has their focus been off? Is it really the feds? I mean, it's just a lot of great information. So as I was saying just before the program started, one of the things I like about, you know, people I like being around humble people, uh, and, and Andy Shell and Logan have this in common. They're wicked smart and they have a way of challenging authority and those, and they're not afraid to buck and stand up and respectfully. That's the key word here. They respectfully buck and uh, the what conventional wisdom. And I love how they do it. So we've invited Logan to come back and talk about the housing market. Uh, very excited to have him on and give him, have him share his comments. By the way, I want to go out and say something that really about the police shootings. I mean, uh, this is a financial podcast, but we need to come together and we need to talk more about it. I want to say. Just how much my heart goes out to the public servants, especially the police that serve us each and every day and watch over us to protect us. My heart is truly broken yet again by another incident that happened on Sunday. I'm praying for the families and the communities that were impacted by this senseless murder, these latest murders. And um, uh, we just pray for all of them. And we pray more than anything for strong leadership to arise and emerge in this country to truly lead and not make commentary. So I could go on and on again, get me on my soapbox on that one, but our, truly our thoughts and prayers go out to the folks in Baton Rouge and to the families still be aching from the losses in Dallas, and just pray that this whole situation abide or subside, and then it goes away. It doesn't happen anymore. That's the last of it. Unfortunately, we probably have got some more uh, ahead of us, but um, we'll see how this goes. I believe in I believe in prayer, so I'm praying for these people in these communities that we have that to be the last of it. Also, looking forward to this RNC, the Republican National Committee or Convention that's starting this week in Cleveland. Going to be very exciting to watch all that goes on there. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative Rate Star program. We're going to hear from Jim Jump a little bit later. We're going to also talk to. Uh, John Maynell of Motivity Solution providing an update on the latest KPI of the week. Uh, they have a great system of business intelligence technology providing real-time reporting and dashboard 
services as well as scorecards. Got to check it out. Velma. Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, Brent Emler. I think of him and I just smile because that guy is agile. You can, I mean, if he was a tennis player, he'd be at the net all the time. I don't care how fast you try to run it by him, he can respond. He, you have the, he has the set it and forget it auto campaigns. That's the one you build and just get it out there. They execute well, but they really do great on creating a custom campaign on the fly. Check it out at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. Or call Brett Emler at 208-854-7909. And then also Simplify. They have some technology that allows you to communicate with closing agents in a real-time chat and messaging format. Just like you know how you do instant messaging, that's what you could do with closing agents. You could track changes, send and receive and validate documents through this immediate electronic platform. It is really innovative, and they're also doing so a lot more other innovative things, and you have to check it out at simplifile.com. You know, we select our sponsors, all of these sponsors, very carefully. I am really impressed with, impressed with Nancy Alley and the folks at Simplifile, S-I-M-P-I-S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com. Someone for dyslexia, spelling something like that, that's pretty good. All right, or call them at 1-800-460-5657. D&H, moving your world forward through technology. They have been around in business for 140 years, but they're anything but a stodgy company. They're putting forth some new innovative technologies that I'm really excited about. I can't wait for them to come forward with them. And uh, they have 5,500 people working for the company, serving 8,000 clients in 70 countries. It's extraordinary. So if you're looking for an LOS system or looking for some innovation happening, you've got to check out Motivity, or excuse me, check out Motivity for sure, but also check out MortgageBot at MortgageBot.com. Call them also at 1-800-815-5592. Especially, another special thank you goes out to Mortgage Collaborative. Past founding, the past five presidents of the MBA are the founding members of the Mortgage Collaborative. It is a true co-op that allows its members to interact with the top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. Fannie Mae's there, Freddie Mac's there, Ted Dozier there, Jenny Mae. I mean, you get into an intimate setting and you really get to meet with these. And we have a conference coming up. Their conference is coming up here in, uh, let's see here, I think that is coming up. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. It, uh, it's August 20th and the 23rd. There we go. Anyway, thank you to the Mortgage Collaborative for being a sponsor, and I'm a proud member of that organization. We've got the 44th Annual CMBA Western Secretary Conference coming up next week. I'll be in San Francisco doing a live podcast from the Western St. Francis. Look forward to seeing you there. We'll be interviewing ArchMI's chief economist. Very excited about that. Ralph De, I think it's DeFranco, is, DeFranco is the chief economist there, and looking forward to interviewing him. Also, uh, if August 7th through the 9th, I'll be at Pure Michigan, speaking at the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Conference, speaking about millennials. A lot of information that I'm digging up on this. Looking forward to sharing there. We may have to do a program on that. And then, of course, we've already talked about the Mortgage Collaborative event. always want to say thank you to Andy, um, Joe Farr, and, uh, of course, my good buddy, Sam Garcia, and everyone who dials in to make and add content to this. So, without further ado, let's get over to Joe Farr. Hey, David. Ed. Here's Johnny. So here's yeah. Joe. What you got in the markets, my friend? I'll cut your screen up. Well, yeah, Go. we're down a little bit this morning. We're down 4.30 seconds. Uh, you know, it's hard to part, point to any any given thing that's causing that. Um, 
you know, we have seen over the last few days, the economic data today had really nothing to do with it. The home builder confidence came in a little, a little short of expectation at 59 down from, from 60. Uh, so it wasn't a real mar- market mover. Stocks are up a little bit more today, um, uh, continue to set record highs. And, and, you know, given all that you just talked about and the things that went on in Nice and other places, it's just hard to imagine how stocks have uh, rallied to be at the highest point that they have ever been. Um, and, and, you know, some of this uh, interesting uh, impact on of the, the attempted coup in Turkey, uh, we saw a little bit of a flight to safety late in the day, Friday, uh, as the reports were first coming out and uh you know the as it failed you know some of that improvement that happened late on friday maybe is getting reversed uh this morning but um yeah it's been a you know we're down a little bit today uh last yeah. week day we we were down again last week not again but we were down last week 11:30 seconds uh just going back and look at the uh the price movement uh, on MBS since the Brexit vote. Uh, we saw about a 0. 0.6, 1.6% improvement in MBS prices. Uh, since that, uh, and that improvement uh, peaked, let me see when that peaked, but since that, since the improvement, we are now um, about 78 basis points above where we were before Brexit. So uh, 1.6 to the good, 78 to the bad, so we're still about half the we still have half the gains, and the MBS have have held on to those gains while stock the stock market has fully recovered and then some. So, uh, you know, it, it, the net effect of Brexit still good for mortgage rates. Um, last week, as I mentioned, we lost uh, 11.30 seconds. Mortgage rates rose about five or six basis points. Uh, the simply the yields had fallen to the point where investors were. You know, had lost some demand for MBS, and uh, and and increased demand for uh, for stocks. So we saw some profit taken in MBS. Stock market rallied. Both the S and P and the Dow hit all time highs. Risk on trade was the was the the effect for the week. Uh, the Fed indicated they were going to be very slow in, in increasing interest rates. Good for stocks. And then uh, the earnings reports were pretty good. Uh, the economic data was. Uh, also, you know, a little better than expected, and therefore had a little bit of a negative impact on MBS. You know, low jobless claims again this week, a strong retail sales number, and a good industrial production number. And then the inflation measures showed uh, just a little uptick in in inflation, and you know, the uh, MBS market is going to be very sensitive to that. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in uh, having you join in the discussion when we look at the housing starts and the existing home sales uh, for this week. It's going to be very, very interesting. we got Logan on, as you know, and we're going to be talking a lot about that. So what's driving some of that stuff? Why, been, why is it going down on the existing home sales? What's what's behind that? So, Joe, you do a great job, and I love the website you have. It's just so clean. It's concise, and everything's there. Yeah. Uh, as you know, you can see when I'm dialing in, uh, I am dialing in this thing just constantly. I am a big, big user of your site, and I, I don't think there's anything quite like it out there. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So I tell people to. Oh, just a real, uh, a real quick look at this week. We don't have a, we don't oh, have yeah, a lot man, going we on this week. Yeah, okay. we have, as you mentioned, that. we have housing right starts. We we have existing yeah. home sales, uh, and then Thursday we have, in addition to home sales on Thursday. 
it has a silly fed and leading indicator. So it should Perfect. not be a, a, a real uh, busy week for economic data. And, and mortgage rates, although they have not been taking a lot of direction from the economic data, uh, there's just not much there this week to move it unless the existing home sales numbers are a really big miss. Well, uh, sorry, I thought, you know, for some reason we were talking about this, and uh, I was looking at that, so I jumped ahead. I'm so sorry, but good job. Anyway, folks, if you want to learn more how to operate or get connected with the system and operate inside of the knowledge base that's concise and to the point, listen to this ad. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Oh, yeah. Paying attention. You know when you're sending emails and doing that, we got a lot of people I'm communicating with that are communicating with me through emails. You know, if you really want to cat, grab my attention real quickly, send me a text message. It works the best. I've got that text message box open. You can do it through LinkedIn, do it various ways. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, yeah, I got a little distracted when Joe was there, so my apologies. I am excited about being up in Pure, Michigan. We've got Jan Miseraka, uh, Joanne Miseraka, who gave us a brief comments about the conference. I really want to invite you, for, especially for those of you in the hot part of the country, if you're looking for escape into the most beautiful country and some really pleasant temperatures. Here's a little bit on the conference, and then we're going to run over to Sam Garcia. We'll be right back after we hear about Joanne or JYN talking about the upcoming conference at uh, Michigan Mortgage Lenders. I want to take a moment to talk about an exciting event that's coming up this summer. It is the annual Michigan Mortgage Lenders Conference, and I have Joanne Miseraka, the executive director of the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association, on the line with me. She's one of my favorite people. She's got such a great heart, and I'm really excited about this upcoming event. Joanne? Well, hi, Dave. We're excited to have you up there, too. The event is our annual lending conference. It's going to be held August 7th to the 9th at the Grand Traverse Resort in beautiful Acme, Michigan, just outside of Traverse City. It's a great resort. We have lots of items planned, including some great dinners, outdoor events, a golf outing, and then, of course, our wonderful speaker lineup. I'm excited to be a part of that speaker lineup, but tell us about some of the other speakers that are going to be there. Well, we have Jeff Babcock from Stratmore Group. He's going to be talking about just the economic issues and the things that are changing in the mortgage industry and how that all affects our business owners. Dave Trott, a former president of our association, he's now in the House representing Michigan in D.C. He's coming in to speak for us. Louia Marie Dweisel from is going to be talking about diversity, um, which is something that we all need to be conscious of in our workplace. And then, of course, Bill Emerson, he's uh, CEO of Quicken Loans and the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association this year. He's going to be doing a keynote for us at our president's dinner on Monday evening. These are excellent speakers, and I'm looking forward to hearing each of them. And you also have a keynote speaker that you've invited to this event. Who is that? Gene Marks. He's a 
author quoted all over the country. He's going to be talking about technology and the new millennials. With that speaker lineup, Joanne, I can only imagine things are beginning to fill up. How are registrations? Do you still have room for those that want to attend? It's filling up, and we're already exceeded our, our number of registrations from this time last year. And the resort is accommodating, and then there's a secondary hotel that, that's filling up quickly. So you should make your reservations soon if you haven't already. Listeners, I encourage you to consider attending this event. There's outstanding speakers. It's in a beautiful part of the country, and the temperatures are so wonderful up there. So be sure to come up and join us. Once again, the conference starts Sunday, August 7th, and goes through Tuesday, August 9th. Hope to see you up there. To learn more, go to the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association's website. It is www.mmla.net. Make sure you put in the .net. All right, everybody. Good. Yeah, hope to see you up there. It's real good. I want to turn on Sam Garcia's mic. By the way, Alice Alvey is in India traveling and meeting with the folks that she works with there. Uh, as you know, uh, Indicom, who she sold her company to, is a multinational company, and uh, so there's a number of people supporting what they do over there in India. So she's over there meeting with them. Safe travels, Alice, and uh, look forward to uh, getting you back on the radio here after all of this. So let's uh, run over. And then Paul Malo's also out this week. Uh, vacation time. That's what's happening. Anyway, uh, let's run over to Sam Garcia. Good to have you here, friend. And it's hot. Hot, hot, hot in Texas, man. Yeah, it is. Um, Michigan would be much uh, better at this particular moment. But, hey, it's beautiful out. Yeah, Yeah. I've gotten used to it. You know, when I get up to when it gets up to, when it gets down to, you know, 80 degrees, you know, it's kind of like I'm looking for a a sweatshirt or something. It's crazy how you get acclimated to the heat down here. Yeah, or you know you've been in Texas too long when it gets to 95 (laughs) and it's a relief, you know. Where we both spent our fair. You, you started in Southern California, where Logan, our guest, is at, and you know you really get spoiled at those temperatures. It's pretty nice out there. So anyway, you melt when you come out here. But something else that's going on. I'm looking at your website, MortgageDaily.com. Encourage people to check it out. Give us a run through in some of the headlines that you have here, friend. Well, you know this is the first week of uh, second quarter earning reports for uh, you know the large lenders, and um, what we're seeing is that while mortgage originations, you know, were up. Pretty much universally uh, from between the first and second quarters of this year, um, year-over-year performance has been mixed. So you know, some are seeing an increase, some have not done quite as much. <clears throat> but um, the, the good news out of some of these reports that we're seeing is that uh, generally we're just seeing that application pipelines have grown significantly. So that suggests that third quarter you know, originations, when it's all said and done, are looking stronger than expected. And um, to back up that, you know, another support point here is that uh, the um, Friday Mac put out its July 2016 economic and housing forecast. And in that report, um, Freddie lifted its outlook for refinance originations for this year and next year by over $330 billion. So that's some of the impact we're seeing from, you know, the Brexit bringing down uh, yields. And, uh, you know, like Joe was saying, they're still down. And uh, so... Um, you know, even more uh, interesting is that um, we, we put out our, of course, our mortgage market index, and um, that came in last week, uh, the strongest week it's been since March 2015. So uh, just overall mortgage volume's been pretty strong, even in the latest week we're seeing, you know, some significant activity. So jumbo activity was, uh, 
was uh, the one that was up the most this last week. And that report, of course, reflects average uh, per-user rate locks by clients of uh, open close. Um, Equifax put out a report, and it just indicated that serious monthly delinquency on first mortgages, home equity installment loans, and uh, HELOCs uh, has been improving, uh, continued improved performance on those residential products. Um, I, I did a story covering hundreds of recent layoffs tied to the mortgage industry, and you know, prominent among these smaller rounds of layoffs was uh, the nation's biggest lender, Wells Fargo, which I guess you can kind of expect that, but. Uh, just, there was just a few rounds that have happened across the country recently uh, at a number of companies. Um, last week, Moody's Investor Service put out a report that indicated Freddie Mac's uh, issuing an RMBS on $348 million in jumbo loans. And uh, the top three originators for that deal were uh, Caliber Loans, Quicken, and uh, Friedmont Bank. Um, Fitch Ratings put out a report that indicates that in the current period of near you know, record low interest rates on home loans, smaller mortgage services are better equipped to maintain growth uh, than some of the larger counterparts. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and finally, one other headline that I was able to grab before we got on air here was uh, that New Day, is, uh, which it employs about 510 people right now, um, it expects to grow its staff to about 1,000 people by the end of next year. So that's some uh, pretty healthy growth, uh, yeah. at least forecast goes. So. Rob, Rob and his group there do a great job, uh, Rob Posner. And uh, so uh, Bruce Giacoma, a good friend of mine is there. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're doing a great job. And they certainly are spending the money on the advertising, on, uh, at least on the TV, some of the TV stations that I'm watching. So very interesting. Very interesting. Catering to bits. Anyway, sorry, I just cut you off there. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Those are uh, those are pretty much all of my main headlines over this last week. And of course, we're just getting buried now with the earnings reports. They're hitting full force, so uh, oh, yeah. we'll see how that turns out. But it's looking good so far. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how are they? They're just starting to come out. What's any any thoughts on the, what you're seeing? Yeah, everybody's up from the fourth quarter. Or the four, I mean, the first quarter of this year. Um, that's that's pretty universal, and then that's uh, mixed uh, on the year-over-year comparison. But new application pipelines and other measurements that kind of give us an indication of what the third quarter is going to look like look solid across the board. So uh, okay. it should be where whatever's been predicted, we're going to out we're going to do better than you know whatever some of the reports yeah. were calling for previously. Well, that's not surprising. I think if everyone was anticipating a Fed rate hike, and that's not going to ha- not going to happen. I'm just not. You've got a great website as well. I want to talk something you talked about last week. You have a list of all the lenders, whether the biggest servicers, the biggest lenders in the market. Talk just a little bit about the data that you have available to people who are subscribers. Yeah, sure. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And, uh, you know, what we do, of course, like I mentioned a minute ago, is, uh, of course, we uh, scan through hundreds of pages on quarterly earning reports for uh, each of the companies that report and also uh, do loan originations. Um, And then we also perform what's called the uh, mortgage origination survey, where we send out some surveys to companies that aren't publicly reported, and they provide data about their mortgage originations and and their employment levels and their servicing portfolio. So combination of those two sources plus a few other, you know, uh, other reports that we'll get uh, help us 
get some of the, you know, be able to rank the top lenders in the country when it comes to home lending on a quarterly basis. So, you know, those tables basically have got them by quarter going back to 2003, which is really when we started doing them pretty in a big way. Good. Well, excellent job. You do a great job. Check out the website, everybody, at www.mortgagedaily.com or call Sam directly at 214-521-1300. Or you can email Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com. Sam, thanks so much. Appreciate you being a part of the broadcast each and every week and the information that you bring. Very valued. Thank you for having me, sir. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a look at uh, what we're at. Um, um, one of the things that I enjoy looking to is the KPI of the week. Uh, we have um, uh, Motivity has does a great job of pre-recording these. And just ahead of the Profit Doctor, I want to talk about, uh, I want Sam Maynell to talk a little bit about the apt to underwriting KPI. Sam Maynell, here we go. Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost apt-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. What gets measured gets results. So good. Check out Motivity Solutions at MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000. They got their user event coming up. I'll be at uh, doing another broadcast from there. Very excited about that. Anyway, let's get over to the Profit Doctor. What gets measured gets results. There's no one at measuring and getting results better than the Profit Doctor himself, also known as Andy Shell. Now, which is better, Andy Shell or Profit Doctor? Well, we know and love Andy Shell, so both. We'll give you a handle. Either. We'll give you a handle. Either way. But you yeah, either way. Hello. You know, the, let's talk about the what's motivity going on. You've got a of, webinar coming up again. I do. I do. I have a webinar coming up on Wednesday this week, the 20th. We're going to be speaking about servicing, servicing and subservicing, all the things you wish you knew before you started or how to get started or when to get started or which loans to keep and which loans to sell servicing released. It's a very comprehensive approach in the two sessions together about uh, servicing. Um, I've been in servicing for 35 years, so been there, done that, big and small, B of A to commercial banks and it's a, there's a lot to it and I wanted to mention one thing about servicing that people don't necessarily think about and it's relating to quality control when we, when we um, think about quality control we think about doing a 10% sample after the loans are closed so production lasts about 30 to 45 days in time and at the end of that time we go back and we pull 10% or if we're concerned about a particular area, maybe we'll pull 20%, and we'd look, you know, re-underwrite it basically, re-verify stuff, and we go, we learn from that, and, and we're done. Well, if you think about servicing, how long does servicing last? Well, if production lasts 45 days, then servicing potentially lasts 30 years. So 
if you think about production is like building the house. It's it's yeah, as a beginning one. and an end, and at the end you've got a house. Servicing is like property management. Servicing is collecting the payments, making sure the insurance is paid, paying the taxes, making sure the house stays painted. You know, so it, it's it's a very different focus. It doesn't have a distinct begin and end. It's more of a cycle of activity that repeats monthly. <clears throat> so servicing QC doesn't happen at the end because you don't wait for 30 years and then look yeah. back at the loan to see how things went. Great point. So, uh, so servicing QC is ongoing. It's always. It's every month. It's an ongoing internal function that is applied to a wide variety of servicing activity, usually focused on uh, collections, lost mit, which would include modifications, foreclosure, fees charged, but it also would include escrow analysis, customer service dwell time, I mean, just a bunch of stuff. But it, it's ongoing. It never ends. So servicing actually has a department just for quality control. And they may actually also have another department just on vendor management. And so servicing is very different in the way that it approaches business because it's not one and done. It's not start and finish in 30 to 45 days. It's 30 years. So very different process load, very different way of measuring results. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about more and more both uh, Wednesday and the following Wednesday. So there's a preview for you, Dave. Good preview. Very good. Well, one of the things is, you know, as we as our upcoming guest does an outstanding job of is making complex things more understandable. You do an amazing job at that, Andy. I think you should have been, you know, we should call you profit doctor. We could also call you professional, you know, or professor because uh, that, that may be the name that you will eventually merge to because you're probably one of the best teachers, and I love how you make complicated things simple and easy to understand. Holding well, on to it is another matter, but you're really good at it, Annie. And if people well, want to get a hold of you, yeah, you go ahead. To remember about, you, want to, you want to have a little quick way of remembering bulls and bears. You want to, you want to ride the bull and shoot the bear. So bulls, oh, are, good bulls are good, bears, <laughs> bears are bad. And, and, well, and we've that's got, what Logan's going to talk about. He's the, you know, the what did you call him? He the, shoots the bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. My email address is the best way to get in touch with me, uh, Andy, A-N-D-Y, at mbs-team.com. I'm going to change that on my notes because I still get stuck on the A-shell. So uh, Andy at mbs-team.com. Get a hold of him, folks. You'll be glad you did. I am excited about broadcasting live next week from ArchMI's booth or wherever we're going to be doing that from. We're trying to work that out. The, the booth area opens just about that same time, so we may, we're, we're not sure exactly what we're going to do. But I'll be interviewing Ralph DeFranco, who is the chief economist for the MBA, excuse me, for the, not the MBA, for the uh, ArchMI. And very excited to have him on. We're going to be talking about the latest economic stuff So that's going on. So we're really looking forward to it. I've not interviewed Ralph before, and so I'm looking forward to his comments. But if you're not signed up to use um, – I keep saying Motivity. I'm going back to that one a lot. But if you're not signed up to use RateStar program through ArchMI, stay tuned. I'm going to share it with you, or Jim Jump is going to share with you, how you can uh, learn more and get signed up. Be right back after this brief break with Logan Motoshami. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. 
RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimize's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course, close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Jim, appreciate it. Looking forward to being with you next week when we are in the at the secondary conference, CMBA, California Mortgage Bankers Association's Western Secondary Conference. So we're looking forward to having Logan Motoshami join us again. It's I've been looking forward to this segment for some time. Always preparing for these segments is, you know, sometimes you're learning things, and then sometimes you're just getting excited because it's, it confirms things you already know, and that's in the case with Logan. Uh, I, Logan, first of all, thank you so much for rejoining us on the broadcast here. Uh, we've had you on, and we always have you have a loyal set of followers. When we put the word out that you would be joining us, we had a lot of people responding saying, Excited to be having hearing Logan's thoughts again. So welcome back, Logan. Very excited to be here. Well, it's good to have you here. Um, we're, I want to start off by talking a little bit about something that uh, is uh, is uh, the way you challenge things. I mean, that you how did people for those that do not know you? Our audience has grown dramatically since we you spoke last spoke on the program or a guest on the program. Uh, how did you get into this? You are not an economist. You're a loan originator. But you have – your analysis is as thorough, complete, informed, and you put out as much information. I feel like I'm talking to some of the PhD. How did you get here? Let's talk a little bit about that just briefly. You know, I, I got into finance about 20 years ago uh, before I actually started working full-time in the mortgage business. I got an interest in the stock market. So naturally, my kind of brain tendency is to track data. And, you know, anybody who really wants to thrive in anything they do, they, they kind of fully engage in everything they want to learn about uh, the job they're doing. So <clears throat> naturally, I became a data junkie. And in that process, you almost begin to almost train yourself just like how an economist would if you track every single economic data point and want to learn about that. Um, so when I started uh, writing uh, about housing economics, really, it was a financial website just wanted me to write a, write some uh, op-ed pieces. But I realized that what's if the I name of that, that website? Uh, that was that Benzing, ben, yeah, Benzinga.com back in 2010. So then I, I decided just to, you know what, why don't I just create my own blog? And then I started writing articles uh, each month. But then I went on Facebook, and basically what I do on Facebook is track and chart and and put out every single mm-hmm economic data information you could possibly have, not only just in America, but, but out in the you world are, as well. You, well, not only that, you've got some great pictures you put up from historical staff. I love this stuff. And for, for those that are not connected 
to Logan on Facebook. How can they do so? I highly recommend you that. Just, just go to Facebook and type in my name, Logan Motoshami. You know, we've got over 7,000 people there. And, yes, it's just uh, it's if you like economics and, yeah, if you like historical photos as well, because I'm just a totally big nerd. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much right. what it is. There's, there's no selfie yeah, there. It's really pretty much charts and uh, was, historical photos. Well, you, you, there's one selfie you did when you were on the treadmill working out, and it was the book market. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, there's a lot of – you're challenging, and I like you in how you respectfully challenge many loud voices, big voices, respected voices. And it's not to take a shot at any of them. I love the fact how someone like yourself, Andy does this well, is you go out and challenge conventional wisdom, and you do it in such a way that – really gets people engaged. I mean, they didn't know who you were. They they try to Google you and, well, what Ph.D., where did you graduate from, blah, blah, blah. And you just go at people, with not at them in a negative sense, in a respectful sense, but you go at facts and things that they're putting forth, and you challenge it. One of the things that's out there, I mean, Harry S. Dent is one of my favorite guys. Peter Schiff is another guy I've listened to. But Dent was, for the longest time, one of my favorite guys. He got it so right there initially with the, the his first book that came out. He called things right, and many of us hooked on to, well, he must be right about all of it. But that's not the case. He's one of the perma bears out there that you talk about. But why did – so define what you mean by a perma bear. What, who are they? What are those folks? And why did they get it so wrong? Well, one of the things that's happened recently is that uh, yellow journalism sells. And because of social media, because of the ability to people to uh, uh, basically give their own uh, points of views, yellow journalism – people can just say whatever they want to believe, and there's a group of people that will always think America's horrible – uh, there's some conspiracy on government data and pretty much just lie consistently. Uh, some people do it for vested belief. You know, uh, some people have trades they want to push. Some people are just anti-American demagogues. They just, they're just going to cry about America every single day. But one thing I've noticed is that if you follow economics, and I'm talking post-World War II, there's a certain trend that has to happen for a recession. And in 2014, I realized that most of these perma bears are just saying things because they know their followers just want to hear it. I'm not even sure if they even believe it, but because of their popularity is doom and gloom, they know that their vested followers have to, you know, have to hear them talk negatively. And then I thought to myself, you know, after 2014, we're, we're, we're going to start to go after these people. As much as I've been very critical of the housing bulls and these people who are, had high GDPs and, and high tenure notes, uh, yields. I thought it's time to kind of go reverse. And a lot of my economic stuff this year, what I write about, are actually more economic articles than they are just uh, than housing. So it's right to go after both sides. And let's be honest, the perma bears, the people that have been calling for recession, crash, have had the worst eight years post World War II. And you know, I'm going to tag a article to this interview with names, faces, and calls and data to prove that these people have no idea what they're talking about, and they know it. They just do it so people can clickbait their materials because there's this group of people in this world who will only clickbait doom and gloom stuff. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that it, you know, you know they, they say uh, uh, salacious images uh, uh, draw people, get people negativity when you're out there. Put, putting that out there, it'll draw people. But I wrote, just, I wrote an article this year headlining the u.s economy is about to crash 
And in that article was every single data point to show that the that the perma bears were not only wrong, they were terribly wrong, but it was the most popular article I wrote only because of the headline. And I yeah. knew that the people would you, click on it thinking they were going to crash, but no, it was an April Fool's joke saying, ah, no, you guys all got it wrong. Recessions are a function of an overinvestment thesis that creates a supply and demand imbalance that tends to happen when the Fed is raising rates to fight inflation. None of these things are present in the U.S. economy. And this is why the recession hasn't happened. And I, and I don't even want to change the people's minds who listen to Harry Dent or Peter Schiff or Raul Paul or, or you know, Mark Faber. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to change minds. I just want to teach people that if you really want to look for recessions, there are just a few things that you have to see happen first before we even whisper the oh. word recession. Well, that's a great segue, and I'm going to toss the mic over to Andy Shell. Andy? Yes. Hey, Logan. Thanks for being on the show. Boy, there's so much to talk about. <clears throat> I love your website too, by the way. I've Thank I've you. been I've been uh, noodling around on loganmotoshami.com and clicking on some of your recent articles, including the housing bubble of 2016 and also the Britex article, which I think is really interesting. Um, and including in the Britex article, you got a whole bunch of charts down at the bottom. I, I'm going into this level of detail because I want the listeners to follow with me. So when you get a chance, go to this website, go to that article, scroll down, and there's amazing charts that show trends and activity. I think the, the JOLT reports a really interesting chart that you've put together that shows the, the trend of information. So the, the main topic I wanted to talk to you about over the next few minutes is uh, what to look for in a recession, but I also want to tag on to that a comment from you about the impact of the impact of international negative interest rates on U.S. mortgage lending over the next several years. So I'm not well, sure where you want to start, but in, in terms it. of a recession, it, it's it's we'll we'll cut it down to two basically main points. Uh, leading economic indicators have to fall at least four to six months, and unemployment claims have to rise. You know, from a low base, and we have our low. I mean, we are at 43-year lows in unemployment claims. If unemployment claims get to 322, uh, 323k on a four-week moving average, not a headline number, then we could start talking about well, maybe the recession is happening because companies have to start laying people off because the demand isn't there and they, they're concerned about profit margins. None of that has ever happened in the last eight years. We've had a downward spiral. In fact, the only thing that actually created a, a short blip and unemployment claims was the Sandy flood. Uh, the oil crash didn't really change the curve at all. The commodity crash didn't. We've had 17 international crises since 2011, China, Japan, Europe, twice, Brazil, Russia. It doesn't matter. We are the United States of America. We have over 100 million workers that only work on domestic demand curve economics in a service sector society on consumption. We're fine. We handled every single crisis, and it's been the most stable economy actually the most stable U.S. economy in over the last 50 years. Wow. So we're, 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 we're safe for a while because um, we haven't had that happen yet. Haven't no, had we haven't had it. Inflation is rising. Um, that's, I think that's the thing that we, people need to start keeping an eye out. There is no deflation happening in America. Core inflation is rising. Headline inflation is going to start rising because oil has gone up. ECI wage inflation is at 3.6% year-over-year for job switchers, which goes into the JOLTS data, 
It's at 4.3%, a cycle high, which is right where it was before the 2007 uh, uh, collapse happened. So wages are going up. Inflation is picking up. That's typically when the Fed starts to move. We're not there yet for them to move because negative rates, the entire world has demographic deflationary factors, and we, there's no inflation out there, and, and that is, is, is another factor on keeping you know, our 10-year low, which is if you look at my 2015 and 2016 prediction, there is a one-handle always because inflation is not rampant anymore. So do you think that the negative interest rates, and, and do you, does that mean MBSs could come lower and are we going to have another refi wave or what's going to happen with I, I don't think I, I don't believe in a refi wave uh, if we look at if you look at total supply volume in 2012 that was the last time we had a mega refinance wave and in that point actually you know the only two times that we've had 10 years go uh, to about the 130 level is both in European uh, economic crisis issues and both times we get there and we shoot right back up. I think the 160 level is really where the 10-year should be at, and we work off of that. But below that, you need some international crisis, and we're not there very long. Uh, I, for us to get another refi way, we need to go below 1% and stay there for uh, a few days to capture the real supply of people that can refinance. Because if you look at this year, even though the 10-year got to the lowest point of this cycle, we're slightly above 2015 levels in terms of refinance volume because we've been here before. In 2012, we were here. A lot of people have refinanced. Rates have to go lower to get a big kind of 2012 volume wave. Hmm. Well, one other quick question, and then I'll, I'll throw it over to Joe. And that's uh, I'm, this is a bit winging it, so we, these aren't prepared questions. Um, in, in your article about BritX, there's the JOLT report going back to 2000. And in that chart, it, it charts openings, hires, quits, the, the layoffs and stuff. And what I thought was interesting is that hires tend to be uh, track correlated to but above job openings. So there's always hires are in excess of job openings. But now, since mid-2015, it's, it's inverted. The job openings exceed the hires. And, again, I'm, uh, this is totally throw it at you off the cuff. Does that give you any concern? Is that looks like my my biggest contention with people is that the great American lie was that ninety five million Americans are out of work. That is completely untrue. Uh we have a labor shortage today. Uh yes. the labor participation rate is you know being at sixty two percent does not mean that millions of Americans are out of work. We're eight years into the cycle. We have over hundred and fifty four million working Americans. We're missing only two point seven million prime age labor force Americans from the last cycle and and a good portion of those are women who have said they want to take care of their kids. Um it's not surprising that two months ago at 5.84 million was the highest job openings ever recorded in human history. And it's in every single sector in the U.S., ah. construction, government jobs, manufacturing even. Um, I, put, I wrote an article about robots aren't taking all the jobs, and I specifically outlined every job sector in America. We don't have the labor to fill in these jobs, and which makes sense because prime age labor force growth peaked in 2007 here, unlike the 1980s and 1990s. And right now we're too young and we're too old. That's going to change in a few years. We're going to have the millennials are going to come into the workforce, and um, you're going to have more and more uh, uh, older Americans leaving. 
when they come in, we'll, we'll have the ability to fill in some of these jobs. But right now, everybody who's told you that 95 million Americans are out of work, unemployment claims being this low, it doesn't mean they're, – they're lying to you because they're anti-American demagogues. And they know that their listeners or whoever, whoever follows their work – won't do the research to see, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. We only lost 50, less than $15 million in the Great Recession. We're well over that in the jobs grid. How, we, how are 95 billion people out of work? Because it's not that's true. So, yeah, you know, that's such a fascinating thing. Because I want to get into that, especially the comment, their anti-American negative uh, rhetoric. I, you know, I'm wondering if it even gets a little more political than that. I wonder which, if, if you're a Republican, you're looking at the numbers one way. If you're a Democrat, if a Democrat's in the White House, you're looking at the numbers another way. So I'm really interested in getting, and I want to get into that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to go, I want to toss the mic over to Joe and talk, get more, a little more into the housing part of this thing. Joe? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've realized a tremendous improvement in housing uh, and home prices and got to be a lot of factors to that supply and demand certainly uh one of those uh, and low interest rates is one of those and so uh logan to what extent do you think that the housing price appreciation that we've seen here in 2016 is uh is a concern and and what would cause it to be a concern here's here's how i look at home prices in this cycle. Home prices are really a function of inventory because millions of people buy homes a year. That's never going to be a question in doubt. Uh, This housing cycle has had the worst demand curve for mortgage buyers we've ever seen, uh, even at the lowest interest rates uh, curve we've ever seen post-World War II. But it's shelter. People buy homes. Uh, Mortgage purchase application data is at the highest level in this cycle with nominal prices back up to the housing bubble years. Now, adjusting to inflation, home prices aren't back to where they were in 2006, but people are buying homes with mortgages at the highest level in a cycle with prices this high. I don't see that as a concern in terms of a housing bubble being formated because a housing bubble or any kind of bubble to me needs speculation. Uh, in, in the housing bubble before, we had speculation on, on exotic debt that people could not actually afford the homes. And in 2003 to 2006, you see the data. We had mass cash-out booms. We had people buying homes with 0% down stated incomes. We don't have that. There's mortgage demand. is not very strong. People are buying homes. It's the best home buying profile we'll ever see in this country, ever in any other cycle. These people have fixed low-cost wages, I mean low-cost rates, Against rising wages, the only way they'll lose a home is if they lost their job. And that's a a function of inventory not being uh, at six months or above six months because housing is very unaffordable. That's that's an issue. I don't think the affordability index that we all use from economists is is a good one in this cycle. But I'm I'm not concerned in terms of it creating a bubble top where people like Harry Dent are running around telling people prices are going to drop 40 to 67% in some areas. I, 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 you need a recession. You need these homeowners to lose their jobs. One-third of the homes in the cycle have been bought with cash. That can't go into a distressed supply. Uh, so it, it's, it's completely different from the last cycle to this cycle. We have the best home buyers in the cycle, and they are buying homes at the highest levels of the cycle with prices back at the nominal highs of 2006. So, Logan, where do you see it going from here? I mean, we, that's, the, that's where we've in, been. Yeah, as long as inventory stays below six months, which I think is a function of an economic cycle, prices still have legs. Once you start getting 
a recession, people lose their jobs, they'll have to put their homes onto the market. There's where you'll start to see a price decline because we've never had, since 1996 when prices started to take off in this country, we've never had six months of inventory outside of the housing bust years. So I'm not in the camp that tells you low inventory is keeping home sales. I'm in the complete opposite camp. Demographics should have told you from 2007 that the housing demand curve was going to be soft from 2008 to 2019. There's no more exotic debt left, so whoever owns it can own it this time. And um, these people tend to be high income, high educated. You know, when people tell you that, oh, uh, there's too, Americans have too much debt. We have about $14.5 trillion of debt. We have over $102 trillion of financial assets over. This is kind of the best of the economic food chain. They'll be fine. If they lose their job, late, late cycle lending, low down payments, those are the people that you have to worry about because those people have no equity to sell. They usually go into distress. It's back to a normal housing cycle, unlike, you know, 2003 to 2006. So and the concern will be if, you know, prices keep on rising for some reason when inventory is higher. I don't think that will be the case. It hasn't been the case for the last, you know, few years. Uh, inventory has been below six months. That's the kind of level you need to see on a national basis. Do you see the Fed uh, playing a role in, in changing the direction of the housing market? Anytime I, soon? I, I don't think the Fed has much power. Um, the long end of the market has been – bond market has been going down since 1981. Uh, the Fed uh, – you know, you, some people can make the case that the Fed is maybe slightly behind the curve because inflation is rising and they're still at a quarter, zero, you know, just a quarter Fed funds rate. But, you know, you have $14 trillion in negative rates out there. The world economy can't handle a strong dollar. I mean, let's just face it. The dollar got stronger in 2014 to 2015. It sent a lot of these export countries into a recession. And, you know, negative rates are here to stay, and, and low rates are here to stay for decades to come. Um, uh, unless you see inflation rising, because if you look at long-term rates and inflation, they move hand in hand. The best case for inflation is really when our young labor force, you know, in years 2020 to 24, come into the marketplace, and because of that demand, they'll create inflation. So I don't, I don't see the, I don't, I don't see the Fed being that important um, because they're 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 really moving where inflation is. So I'm not in the mm-hmm. camp that thinks the Fed can control the housing market. All right, back to you, Dave. All right, thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, one of the things I want to talk a little bit more. I'm getting a lot of comments coming in to me about the labor participation rate and wage growth. Um, there's a lot of us have locked in. Me too. I mean, I'll be honest. I look at the uh, when when you look at the unemployment. You what, we, what's the number? We we track the that's published all there, the time. Is it U U three or which one's that there's one? U three. But I U3. think a lot of people are 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 looking at the U six. We're fixated rate. on U six, isn't it? Yeah. So the U six rate is at nine point eight percent. It's fallen down from I think a high. It's a little bit over seventeen percent. So let's let's look at who's not working. Okay, so when we look at it, college-educated people are at about 2.4% unemployment rate. The recent college grads are about 4.1%. Who lost their jobs in the Great Recession outside of real estate and finance? Service sector jobs, high school dropouts, non-college-educated Americans. So a lot of these people are the people who aren't working. If you look at the data, which I I don't think a lot of people do, it's a lot of high school dropouts. It's a lot of criminally active people who are not in jail. It's a lot of drug addicts who are not in rehab. 
And then it's the group that says, you know what, I'm taking care of my kids. I'm not working. We have no right to tell yeah. them to work. Uh, so that's, that's really the function because in this cycle, ages 17 to 29 are massive, and ages 49 to 65 are massive. Older people are working as a percentage at the highest levels we've ever seen. So it's not them. If they're leaving the workforce, the other ones are working. So when you, when you count civilian labor force ages 16 to 65, do we really expect ages 16 to 24 to work full-time jobs, leave school? No. That's why the prime age labor force growth, which is running at 81%, that's the, that's the number people should focus on. It's missing 2.7 million people. Some of those people are on disability. Some of those people went back to school. Some of those people are home taking care of their children. And then there's a group of people which we as a country need to invest in. Our government does not invest in our people because federal debt is a political weapon. They tell you federal debt is bad. Federal debt will create inflation. Federal debt has been growing for many years, and inflation is at the lowest level. This is a political weapon, and it's starting to impact our economy because we don't want to invest because we, as Republicans or as Democrats, use federal debt as a weapon, and it's, it's embarrassing. Our domestic investment from government in this cycle has been terrible. So, um, oh, man. you know, that gets, that's a great segue right into where I want to go next. I mean, you look at the future housing interest rates, and we've got the Republican uh, convention starting this week in Cleveland today. And then you, so I would like to get your thoughts on a Trump presidency versus a Hillary Clinton presidency. Any insights? And, and I mean, just lay it out there. That's one thing I enjoy about you. And we may not agree on all the stuff and data points. But you always give me to think, though. And I, a lot of times I've come around going, you know what? Logo is right on this. So talk about the, what, what we can expect to hear or if, if, in a Trump presidency. One thing I would anticipate, he knows how to leverage things. All of his companies are highly leveraged. We're going to see American debt. Where you think Bush or Obama or anyone before him had a lot of debt, I think Trump would just skyrocket our debt. Your thoughts? Well, here's the thing. Majority of the debt that's going to be created uh, in this country comes from uh, entitlements. Entitlements will not be touched by Trump. Trump knows this. Trump has actually gone against Republican principles that have been, you know, trying to keep federal debt and state debt down away. He doesn't care. He, if, if he actually knows his own budget, federal debt's going to blow up. And actually, I don't see that as a bad thing. Because unless the debt actually creates inflation, which we are the do- we have the dollar, we have the reserve currency, we have the biggest economy in the world, we have the strongest military in the world, we don't we're, we're going to be treated better than anybody on the bond market. So um, expect federal debt to blow up. I don't see it as a problem. I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to expect repeal. that to happen. Yeah, I, I I expect that to happen with anybody because I don't think I don't think either yeah either one of them. Touch, debt, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean I mean. Look, this is the honest truth. By year 2024, just the uh, federal man, uh, mandatory items, Social Security, Medicare, and net interest, that's going to take up all the government revenue based on a 3% GDP. Just, and if, since it's mandatory, any recession that happens now until 2060 will just expand the federal debt higher. And I'm telling you, nothing's going to happen because nothing's happened to Japan. We're never going to catch up to Japan's debt-to-GDP and there are negative <laughs> rates. There are negative They're rates. Negative. I mean, this has been a lie. I'm, I've, I've been a registered conservative Republican. This has been a lie by our party 
for many decades because federal debt is a weapon, a political weapon that you can use. And Japan is at negative rates, and they have the highest debt to GDP as anybody. So expect federal debt to rise from anybody because I don't think anybody's going to raise taxes, certainly not in the middle class. Nobody's going to raise taxes in the middle class. I think that's one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders is not getting the nomination because Democrats don't want uh, um, payroll yeah. taxes to increase. Actually, Bernie Sanders was very admirable. He wants to pay for everything. Um, I'm probably the left of Bernie Sanders in terms of free edu- college education. I, I, you, you put 50 or $60 billion a year in the federal budget, it's nothing. Uh, you can do that without raising taxes, and nothing will happen. The world won't come to an end. I just don't think politicians want to risk that, because if they do, that means a lot of principles go out the door that they fought for for 30 or 40 years. Yeah, so the debt has been growing. Interest rates are at all-time lows. Inflation is, is not you know, present. Um, so I, either Hillary or, or Trump, uh, <clears throat> demographics are going to get better for the U.S. economy in the next cycle. Uh, but yeah, it's fascinating. We are so out of time, it's not even funny. I love having you on. You do a great job each and every time you come on, and we love having you here. But as you hear the drums start playing in the background, it's signaling we are out of time, and we got to wrap this up. For those that want to read more, become more familiar with you, Logan, again, what are the best places for them to go? Andy already brought up your website, Logan Motoshami. Maybe we should spell that for people. Logan, you want to give us a quick rundown of where people can hear more from you? Facebook, yes, your website, uh, Logan Motoshami, yeah, L-O-G-A-N-M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I.com, and I will put an, an article with this interview with a lot of charts and data to, to go over kind of the things we've talked about. I'll sign up on Facebook to listen to Logan. You're not going to be bored, I'll tell you that. I really have learned a lot from him. I love his attitude, and I just love you boldly going out and challenging people, boldly going out where no other people seem to want to go. You do it. You do it well. Good fashion. Thank you so much for being with us, Logan. Great to have you here. Also, thank you out to Joe Farr. You betcha, friend. Also, thank you goes out to Joe Farr, Andy Shell for being here with us, Sam Garcia. appreciate everyone tuning in and telling others about this podcast. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be broadcasting next week live from the CMBA, the California Mortgage Bankers Association's Western Secondary Conference, and we'll be in the Arch MI booth. And our special guest will be Ralph DeFranco. He will be on with us, and he's going to talk. he's the chief economist for Arch MI. Looking forward to hearing his comments on all of this. Talk to you soon. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week. Thanks very Oops. much. Let's hit the wrong one, you know, and looking for a short close. There we go. (laughs) All right. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 